This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. We're going to begin today in uh, Proverbs 26. Proverbs 26, and then we will go to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 28. So we've been on a series here, just the courtrooms of heaven and how we can go right before God with our prayers and our petitions to intercede, and we stand in the gap and we pray. But here's a thought for you, that God's not a God of legalism. God doesn't say, you have to serve me, you have to obey me. Uh, God's a God of a heart change, where we begin to realize, I want to serve God from my heart. I want to obey Him from my heart, and it's very the same with repentance. It's one thing for me to repent of my sin and say, you know what? I repented of my sin because the Bible tells me to. Or I say, I repent of my sin because I have God felt sorrow and God felt remorse. I don't want to displease God. And so it's all a way of God changing our hearts and coming on the inside of each one of us. Okay, we begin here, Proverbs 26, verse 2. Like a flighting sparrow, like a flying swallow, so a curse without a cause shall not alight. An unwarranted curse or an undeserved curse cannot light. Now, again, I want to give you a picture, and I think it's a little easier to understand, that as you see a sparrow or a swallow flying around, that bird is looking for a place where it can land or it can rest. He's saying this thing is the same way about a curse, that he said, a curse cannot land, a curse cannot come to me and use life unless he has legal reason. So what would be legal reason today? What would give the opportunity for a curse to come to light or to rest on your life and mine? All right, with that thought, and I'll bring that up several times this morning, go with me to the book of Deuteronomy. Chapter number 30. Back there toward the front of the Bible now. Deuteronomy chapter 30. And we're going to be mostly, actually we're going to be in the Old Testament most of the day today. Deuteronomy 30. Now, when you talk about the book of Deuteronomy, especially or specifically Deuteronomy 28, that chapter is 68 verses. The first 14 verses of Deuteronomy 28 talk about the blessing Verse 15 through 63 talk about the curse. And it uses three words, if, then, and but. So the the first part would say something like this. If you obey my word, and if you obey my statutes and my judgments, then the blessings of God will come upon you. But if you don't obey my, my commands and my judgments, then in return you get the curse. So what he reveals to us there is there is a blessing and there is a curse that tries to come after every one of us, and it has to do with our choices. So begin, Proverbs, Deuteronomy 30, verse 14. But the word is very near you in your mouth and your heart that you may do it. Now, when the Bible talks about the word, it's really referring to the Bible. The word is the Bible. The word is the word of God. And he said a couple interesting things there that you need to get the word in your mouth. Speak the word out of your mouth. That's important that we begin to get our tongue to line up with the word of God. That's Proverbs 18, 21. Death and life in the power of my tongue and your tongue. 
But then he said he wanted to get it into your heart. And ultimately, the key to that verse is that you may do it. See, we know the Word of God. We can quote Scripture. But if I don't learn to put the Word of God into action, it will do me no good. In James 1, James said that. Be doers of the Word and not hearers only. So he's saying, get the Word. Verse number 15. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. Two choices. Life, good, death, evil. In that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in His ways, to keep His commandments, His statutes, and His judgment. That you may live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. Now he's telling me right there, the results of loving God and obeying God, God wants to bless us. God wants to help us in this life. Verse 17, but if, there are those words, but if your heart turns away so that you do not hear, and you're drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I announce you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to go and possess. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you. Now, why would he need witnesses? What do witnesses do? They testify. And so he said there will be witnesses today that will testify on our behalf. Now, if you note there the word testify, this is the fourth time he's used that in these, in these uh, few verses already. Think about the word today. He's telling us, quit putting off the things of God. Yesterday's over, tomorrow's not here. Only God is today. Make my todays count. So listen in verse 19 specifically at these instructions. I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Life, death, blessing and cursing. Now I don't see any other opportunities there but these two. So right here he's telling us this is a test that you're either going to choose life, death, blessing or cursing. And the next thing he does, he says, choose life. The Lord gives us the answer. He says, choose life. Why? That both you and your descendants may live. Now, it's interesting right here with just what he said. That my choices and your choices not only affect the ones of us that make the choice, but he said it would affect both you and your descendants, your offspring. And so what he's given us a picture of right here is that my choices will uh, cause my family members to either gravitate toward the things of God or they'll gravitate uh, away from God. And I don't care who we are right here. And so if in my life I'm lukewarm and serving God, then my children will be lukewarm and serving God. If I obey God's commandments half-heartedly, then my children will be reluctant to obey God's commandments. Now again, a lot of people would say, well, I don't know that I want that much pressure on me. Well, think about this again, what we talked about. That we understand genetics, hereditary, our DNA. So those things in our, our life are passed on. 
but also the things that we choose, whether to live by God's commands or not, those things are passed on. Ouch. Now, go with me to the book of Numbers 14, and as you're turning there, I, I read an article, Numbers 14 is where we're going, I read an article that took place in 2008 by an older man of God. I mean, he was a man of God. He's died and gone home to be at the Lord. And his, his statement was this. What happens to the church when pastors quit speaking on sin? And we live in a society where it's not politically correct to talk about sin, yet the Bible calls sin, sin. And so when we don't confront sin in our life... I'm telling you, it becomes an epidemic. It becomes bad for our society. So the reason I'm telling you that is for the next few minutes this morning, we're going to hit this. And again, I'm just going to teach you the Word of God, okay? It's only the truth that sets you free. In John 16, the Lord said this about the Holy Spirit, that I sent the Holy Spirit that He will convict you of sin. That word convict literally means he will convince you that you got sin in your life, okay? Pastor's not convicting you of sin. The Word of God will, okay? Thank you. There's a few that agree. November, uh, November, no, Numbers. I got the right month. Numbers 14, verse 17. And now I pray. This is, this is Moses saying, let the power of the Lord be great. Just as you have spoken, saying, the Lord is long-suffering. Thank God He's long-suffering. He's abundant in mercy. He gives forgiving iniquity and transgressions. Both have to do with sins. But by no means does He clear the guilty. He doesn't excuse the guilty. He does not clear the guilty innocent. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers. Huh. Visiting or punishing the iniquities of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation. So he doesn't whitewash sin right here. Actually, he extends the fallout of the parents' sins to children. Listen to what the message says here. I hold parents responsible for any sins they pass on to their children. The New Living says he lays the sins of the parents upon the children. The entire family is affected. So now we're going to got to think about this a little bit more here. He said he, he punishes the children for the iniquities of the father. Now, iniquity has to do with the sin. Iniquity has to do when sin is repeated over and over and over and over and it's never repented of and turned from. So what happens with iniquity, it becomes spontaneous within us. The word iniquity means to, to distort, it means to twist, and it means to bend. Now let me give you a little picture here, and let's just pretend I'm a tree, okay? I'm not a very good tree, but I'm a tree. So when the tree begins to grow, he comes up out of the ground and he's straight. Now we live in the, in the, in the southwest here, and so our predominant wind where we live is the southwest. So every day that that wind comes out of the southwest, 
What does that begin to do to that tree? It begins to cause that tree to bend just day after day after day. Actually, it's really probably not very noticeable until you begin to go down the street and you look and say, well, it looks like all those tall trees are beginning beginning to bend in a certain direction. So as a human being, we come into this world and because of generational iniquities, because of that tendency to sin, it becomes a normal behavior. We begin to bend, we begin to bend, we begin to twist. Now you don't have to show your hand to me. How many of you right now can think about in your family bloodlines sin that you see Maybe in your father, maybe in you. Maybe your grandfather, aunts and uncles, you begin to see that. Maybe you see it in other siblings. This is a sign of the generational iniquity right here, and this is what he's talking about. So he goes on to say, and this is where it gets really, really good to me, verse 19. And this is Moses again, and he says, pardon. One translation says, please pardon the iniquity of this people. So what you have here is this man of God named Moses, and you know what he does? He goes before God. And know what he said, would you pardon the iniquity of this people? Again, God always looks for for a man or a woman who will say, Lord, I ask you to pardon us. I ask you to forgive us. So he goes on to say that you would pardon the iniquity of this people. I pray according to the greatness of your mercy just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt even until now. Now, here's a thought for you. Isaiah 43, verse 26, he's right in there. He said this, put me in remembrance. Did you notice what he said to God here? He said, oh, Father God, you're the God who's according to your greatness and according to your mercy. And then in Isaiah 43, it also says that we would contend together, that we would partner together. See, God always looks for a human being. He looks for a man or woman right here on the earth, you and me. And he says, will you repent? Look at the end there in verse 20. Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. This shows me the power of intercession. But it also is this is prayer that was based on the word of God. So I want to put some hope in you today. If God would notice the prayers of a man named Moses, he'll notice our prayers. And he's saying, man, would you just hang in here with me? Would you just serve with me? Would you just contend together with me? Put me in remembrance of who I am. And remember, God said this. If you'll confess your sin before me, I'm faithful and just not only forgive you, but to cleanse you. Now, go with me to the first Samuel. Just go to your right, a couple pages, books, and you're going to come into the Samuels. First Samuel chapter one, I mean, first Samuel chapter two. We are going to be in first Samuel two, three, and four. Just little bits in each book here the rest of this morning. Now, I will tell you where I'm going. The behavior of parents has an impact on their children. When we studied a few weeks ago in 1 Peter 2, verse 9, 1 Peter 2, 9 says, You are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. So here's the thought we're going to start with as we go into 1 Samuel 2. 
Every one of you in here that are mothers and fathers, even you young ones who desire to be a mother and father, you're the priest of your home. I don't want that job. Too late. If you got kids, you're the priest of your home. Again, God blesses us with children, and it's a responsibility. In Proverbs 22, 6, it says, train them up in the way they should go, and when they're old, they won't depart. So this is our job as parents. So when you look at the priesthood, that we are a chosen generation, we are a royal priesthood, we're going to follow after one of two different types of priesthood. One was a godly priest, a man named Zadok. Zadok loved the Lord. He served God, and he held fast to the charges and the commandments of God. The other guy is a man named Eli. Now, Eli was first. He was the first high priest before Zadok was. But Eli was a man of compromise. As mothers and fathers, we will fall under the priesthood of one of those. We will be like Zadok or we will be like Eli. Okay, so Eli here in 1 Samuel 2, Eli is the high priest. He is the highest religious authority in their times. Begin 1 Samuel 2, verse 12. Now the sons of Eli, who would be the priest under him, were corrupt. One translation says they were a bunch of scoundrels. They did not know the Lord. Now that phrase there, they did not know the Lord, means they did not fear God, nor did they obey God. And you said, well, how can that be? They're the priests. Tell you, it doesn't matter who you are. You can live with a, a fear of God or without a fear of God. But they chose not to obey Him. So let me give you a little illustration of what they did. When the people would bring their sacrifices to the priest, and in the Old Testament, the only one that would come before the priest, uh, that could come before God was the priest. So they would bring their sacrifices. It was some form of an animal. And they would bring and say, would you offer this sacrifice to the Lord for our sins? So just think about this. Ernest comes strolling in here and he offers a sacrifice to the Lord. And he gives it to me and says, will you go into the Holy of Holies and present it? Well, what Eli's sons would do is when the people would bring their offerings to offer to the Lord... They wouldn't take them to the Lord. They'd have a big barbecue. They'd go out and eat and they'd tear it up. They wouldn't sacrifice nothing to God. Now, can you imagine this was what was going on in the temple among these priests? Same chapter, verse 17. Therefore, the sin of the young men was very great. What translation says their sin was very serious before God? And isn't it interesting the Bible calls sin, sin? So I don't know why people in our society get so bent out of shape. Why you shouldn't say sin. Well, what are we supposed to say? Why don't we call it what it is? So it goes on to say, Therefore the sin of the young man was very great before the Lord. Not just before men, but before God. For the men aboard, or they were despised the offering of the Lord. So they, they made the offering of Lord contempt. They're like, I'm not going to obey God. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. Same chapter, verse 22. Now Eli was very old. And he heard of everything his sons did to all of Israel. 
and how they lay with the women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the meeting. That's shocking right there. That men's wives would come to the church to do some of the things that they were permitted to do in the temple. And these two knuckleheads who were the priests, they would think, hey, I'm going to go ahead and take care of these women today. Right there at the church. This is what this is talking about, okay? Verse 23. So he said to them, why do you do such things? For I have heard of your evil or your wicked dealings from the people. And so when you begin to see what he's talking about, he said, he knew their sins. He said, I know you've cheated. I know you've stolen. I know you lie. And I know what you've done with the women. Ouch. Verse 24. Know my sons, for it is not a good report that I hear you make the Lord's people transgress. By the actions within the temple of these priests, it caused the people of God to sin. The power of influence, the power of ungodly influence. Verse 25. If one man sins against another, God will judge him. But if a man sins against the Lord... Who will intercede for him? Now what he's talking about here is any type of sin is bad. But when I begin to deliberately and deceitfully sin, that's the worst of all kind. When you know sin is sin, but you deliberately begin to do it. And so what begins to take place, you'll see that the Lord warns of the severe consequences that go with that. Now watch what's said here at the end of verse 25. Nevertheless, they did not heed the voice of their father because the Lord desired to kill them. Understand this about God. God is a God of justice. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death. So because of their choices and their behavior, God would have to judge them. And here's what happens with these two. They became boastful and presumptuous with their sin. And what I mean by boastful, it was like this. And this is how human beings get. When I get away with sin for a while, we begin to have the thought, you know what, if it was so bad, then why am I getting away with doing it? Well, we'll just keep doing it. There's no consequences for sin. So you know what, God must be okay with it. God's not okay with it. God never has been, nor he ever will be. And so sin again was wrong. Same chapter. This is verse number 29. Now, when we hit verse 29 here, there's a young prophet that begins to come on the scene now, and this is Samuel. This is Samuel in verse 29, and he's speaking to Eli, the high priest. Why do you kick at my sacrifice and my offering? Now, notice how many times God's referred to my, which I have commanded in my dwelling place. And you honor your sons, you honor your children more than you honor me. To make yourselves fat with the best of all the offering of Israel, my people. Therefore, the Lord God of Israel said, Indeed, that your house and the house of your father would walk before me forever. But now the Lord says, far be it from me. Now listen to this. This was written to Eli, but this is written to me and you, I believe. 
For those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise or scorn me shall be lightly esteemed. Now this is what God's word says to each of us. So God gives a warning. And he spells out the consequences of the sin. Again, this father saw all that his boys were doing. Me and you are the high priest of our homes. Now right now in our society, we are seeing more and more of the generations behind us that want to have nothing to do with God. Nothing. And part of the reason for that, when, when young people from 18 to 30 were polled and asked, what's the number one reason you don't have desire to go to church? The number one reason was this, my parents. Because they lived differently in their private life than they did in their public life. And they said stuff like this, I see how my mother and father act at church. But when they get home, I hear them arguing and yelling and cursing and getting angry. And I see their behaviors. So again, our homes are going to be like that of Eli or Zadok. One young man was asked this. They said, did you become an alcoholic because of peer pressure? And he said, no. I became an alcoholic because what I watched my parents do at home. Again, I can't get away from the generational stuff. As moms and dads, we play a huge, huge role. And God will hold us accountable for that. Amen. Thank you for preaching the truth, Pastor. Same chapter. Verse 34. Now this shall be a sign to you. That will come upon your two sons on Hophni and Phinehas. In one day they shall die, both of them. Whoo! Pretty severe consequences, huh? And understand this. God's holding Eli responsible and he said, listen dude, quit being soft on sin. Verse 35. Then I will raise up for myself a faithful priest. This was Adok. Who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. I will build him a, ha- a sure house. And he shall walk before me my anointed forever. So for us to. God's looking for faithful priests. What's a faithful priest? The one who says you know what. I'm going to live for you Father God. I'm going to honor you Father God. I'm going to serve you Father God. So now we jump to chapter 3. Verse number 11. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do something to Israel, I will do something in Israel, at which both ears of everyone who hears, it will tingle. Now here's what he's telling them. He's saying, because the sin within the temple, I'm going to do something that will be so horror that the people of Israel, it will cause their ears to tingle. What a consequence. Verse 12. In that day, I will perform against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from the beginning and the end. For I have told him, 
I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knows because his sons made themselves vile and he did not restrain them and he did not rebuke them. So you know what he's saying? Because of your lack of discipline, Eli, I'm going to judge your house. And because of how vile, and notice he uses the word vile, his sons become. And he said, listen, you didn't discipline them. You didn't have the guts to tell them the truth. You didn't want to be their daddy. You wanted to be their friend. And because of this, they're going to be judged and you're going to be judged. Verse 14. And therefore I have sworn to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Now understand this. He warned them, and he warned them, and he warned them. Now I'm going to go to 1 Samuel chapter 4. And let me paraphrase a little bit what's getting ready to go on. The Israelites are getting ready to go into battle. And they're going to fight with Goliath's relatives, the Philistines. And so when they go to battle with them, they take what is referred to as the Ark of the Covenant with them. The Ark of the Covenant was Israel's most prized possession. And within the Ark of the Covenant was the Ten Commandments that they knew. we got to live by the Ten Commandments. Also, it represented a covenant relationship with God. And then one of the most significant things with me, that the Ark of the Covenant, it symbolized the presence of God. So in their eyes, they take the Ark of the Covenant with them. This is how this would have looked. And they go into battle with the Ark of the Covenant. And they have this thought. Just because we got the Ark of the Covenant, just because we got the promises of God, just because we're called the the children of the Most High, we're going to win. And you know what that looks like to me and you, I believe? Many times in our life, When stuff starts happening to us, we start calling on the name of Jesus. Oh, Father God, do this. Oh, Lord Jesus, do this. But we forget what's our lifestyle look like. Now watch this in chapter 4, verse 10. So the Philistines fought and Israel was defeated and every man fled to his tent There was a very great slaughter, and there fell on Israel 30,000 foot soldiers. One day, 30,000 of them die. Now, this is how it would look for me and you. What's up, God? Why does it seem like all hell's broke loose? We're children of yours. How could we lose? Verse 11. Also, the ark of God was captured. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, they died. Now, that was prophesied in 1 Samuel 2, verse 34. But remember in 1 Samuel 3, the Lord said through the prophet Samuel, He said, there'll come a day when the things that I do will cause the people's ears to tingle. So now we go back and we begin to look at what takes place right here. And one day, 30,000 of them die. Hophni and Phinehas both die. 
And the Ark of the Covenant, the very presence of God, their most prized possession, it was captured. Now listen what else takes place that day. There was a man who escaped the battle and he runs 45 miles back to Shiloh where Eli's at. Eli's on his, he's on his porch in his rocking chair. He's old. His eyes are so dim he can't see, the Bible says. And this young man runs up and he tells him, both your boys are dead and the Philistines have the Ark of the Covenant. And when Eli hears this, he flips over backwards in his rocking chair, breaks his neck and he dies that day. Then Finus's wife, who was pregnant with a little boy, she has complications in delivery. The baby's born alive, but she dies. And they name that little baby Ichabod. Now, don't name your children Ichabod, okay? You know what Ichabod means? The glory of God has departed. One day, in just one day, all that took place. And so when I, I, I read all this, to a degree, they, they had the thought, we can live however we want. We got the Ark of the Covenant. But you begin to see when, when children sin, and a lot of the reasons children sin, not always, but a lot of the reasons is because the Eli's of the house have been soft on sin. And again, when you look at this right here, we're going to be of one of two ways. And the Zadoks, they reject the, the ways of Eli. Now remember, moms and dads, you're the priests of your home. And this should be a wake-up call of how powerful your behaviors affect your children. Whether you believe it or not, whether you think they're, they're watching or not, and your attitudes and your behaviors of your life either reveal God's character in your home and your life, or they distort God's character in your life. One of those two. And our sacrificial offerings of this day is we don't bring dead animals in here anymore. Our sacrificial offering is how well do I worship Him? How well do I praise Him? When I do sin, do I repent of it? And also my sacrificial offering is also my devotion to how well I live for God. And I believe to this day, right now, we need a huge manifestation of Jesus in our homes. Huge. We need Jesus to show back up. Thank you. Think about this here for a second. I believe we can repent of our sins, our family sins, and we can have the blood of Jesus come in. But we can't keep living the way we have. That we have to rise up and sin cannot go unchecked in our homes. We confront it. Let me tell you what happened to me. And this was last week. And I hadn't shared this at all with anybody until the first service. I'm having more and more dreams in my life now. And it's, it's interesting to me. But on Tuesday night I go to bed and, and I, I wake up with this really intense dream. I'm, I'm not talking a little intense. It was one of those ones when I woke up. 
The, the fear of God was so on me and it was so thick. And I'm, I'm thinking, is, is this real? Am I really here? Is this really taking place? And I see a man of God that I highly, highly respect. And he came before me. And he laid his hands on me. I could see him laying his hands on me. And he said, you have a film of dust all over you. Now, just think about this in, in our homes. And if you just open your front door and your back door periodically to go in and out, you may have a Bible in your house. You may have a book in your house. You can walk by and do it and say, oh my gosh, where'd that dust from come from? Well, it doesn't take much for dust to get on our books here in this part of the world. But he said, you have a dust in your film on you. And when he laid hands on me, he went. He breathed on me. And I could see the breath and I could see the dust go off me. And as I woke up, it was like right there the Lord was confirming to me to say, just because we go through this life, every day you go through this life, that there's going to be dust that's going to try to stick to you, a film that's going to try to stick to you. And the Lord's breath that he was talking about is a breath of the Holy Spirit to say, I want to breathe life back on you. I want to breathe holiness back on you. And even more so that one of the things I sensed him saying to me is, I want to breathe back on the church. That the church has become irrelevant in our society, but it's not. The church is our only hope. And I thank God for the word of God. And we're living in a society that's more and more uh, going away from the things of God. Why do you go to church? What's value of it? Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.